I'm Tamara Steele. In this week's show, mixed reviews on a big decision involving Cannabis MB and the thrill of a lifetime for a St. Andrews hockey fan struggling with a serious disease. The Progressive Conservative government has decided to privatize the sale of recreational cannabis in New Brunswick. The province issued a request for proposals to find a single operator in the private sector to take over the 20 Cannabis MB stores. Pulse MB's Alan Deering has more. The province should never have been involved in selling cannabis, says Finance Minister Ernie Steves. Government shouldn't be in the business of business. We should be in the business of regulating. Uh, we've proven that we, we can't run, you can't run a business the same way as you run government. Government, it takes so long to get a decision because we do have to, we have the duty to consult, of course. Steves believes Cannabis NB has failed because prices have been too high, store leases too expensive, and he adds Health Canada has made cannabis difficult to sell with strict regulations. The request for proposals will remain open until January 10th. I'm Alan Deering. Cannabis MB's CEO responding to word the province plans to privatize the sale of recreational cannabis. Patrick Parent says they plan to stay focused on improving prices and lowering costs. He made it clear when he joined the organization they need to build on their progress in competing on price and availability. He says Cannabis NB's great team has risen to this challenge by negotiating lower prices with producers. He notes products competitive with the illegal market have been available in stores for a few weeks. Parent says he wants to reassure customers they will work diligently to offer a selection of legal edible cannabis products in the coming months. Mixed reviews on the pot privatization announcement from the Higgs government from one group. Paul Sambi's Kevin Worrell spoke with David Clement, North American Affairs Manager for the Consumer Choice Center, about what they would have preferred. Mr. Clement, uh, we had a big announcement here yesterday. The province of New Brunswick has decided after losing about $14 million in one year with its cannabis NB stores, it's looking to privatize it. But I understand uh, you folks at the Consumer Choice Centre have some concerns. What's up? Yeah, so it's a bit of a mixed bag when it comes to cannabis consumers in the province uh, and this announcement. So the first side of it is that moving to a private model is positive, for two reasons. The first is that the private sector is more responsive to consumer demands. It better reacts to changes in the marketplace. And all of that is important because ultimately, the more responsive the market, the more likely consumers are going to purchase legally as opposed to illegally. And that's still a big problem. Uh, it's also a positive because taxpayers aren't on the hook uh, for any losses. You just mentioned uh, that, that pretty astronomical figure. That says, for some strange reason, the province has announced that only one company will take over this process. And that's a huge concern for us because most of the benefits from the private sector come from the competitive and entrepreneurial spirit that exists when you open a market up. And so by consolidating everything in one company, it's almost trading one monopoly for another. And so, yes, it's great that taxpayers won't be on the hook. But we see no reason why they couldn't open up the system in a similar way to what Alberta is doing and a similar way to what Ontario said it will do in the future. Um, it's confusing from our perspective as to why they would go this monopolistic route with one provider. Now, what exactly is Alberta doing or have, so they, Alberta, or have they done? Yeah so, yeah, so Alberta has a private retail model. So you have private stores, uh, essentially entrepreneurs from across the province, 
apply for the license uh, almost in the same way that you would for a liquor license to be uh, like a bar or something along those lines. Uh, it's obviously a little more strict because the rules are still transitioning from prohibition. Uh, but their model has essentially created a, a flourishing market of retail outlets where they have over 200 outlets. Um, they have the highest amount of stores per uh, consumer or per person per capita. And so they've really started to create a more dynamic legal framework uh, that has competition between different firms and different companies. You have small businesses applying for these licenses and opening up stores. And so they've gone the market route, which is great, and they've also gone the open, uh, the open and um, competitive market route, which is even better. And that's really where I wish uh, New Brunswick had followed suit, because they don't really need to reinvent the wheel here. There are other provinces that are figuring this out, and I, I'm sure the folks in Alberta would have, would have lent a hand if, uh, if, if New Brunswick had come calling in terms of what they could do to change their systems as well. Well, a lot of people, it's a big joke around here, they say that only, the, only a government could lose money selling marijuana. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it, it is comical, but it is a trend that we're seeing across the country where the, the provincial bodies that have gone this route of trying to centralize everything within the government. I mean, the whole thought process was, let's have the government control as much as possible so we can eat up as much of the revenue as possible. But there was a real flaw in that line of thinking, because if you don't create a market that actually gets people to buy legally, well, you forego all of that revenue because you're not getting tax revenue from black market purchases. And so when we still have 80 percent of the market buying illegally, that's a lot of foregone revenue because people are still buying where they used to before legalization. And so having a private model and with the the emphasis on an open competitive private model uh, from our perspective, is the right way to go about transitioning folks into the legal market and the right way if we're looking at it from a revenue perspective, because legal purchases obviously um, have those taxes applied to them. They're also safer. You know the products you're getting. It's just better for everybody involved to be transitioning to the legal market. So uh, hopefully the province can, uh, rather than taking two steps forward and one step backwards with this announcement, can can get rid of their... Um, their concept of having some sort of private monopoly and really open this up, allow for entrepreneurs to enter the space and, and, and watch the, the industry kind of build up and flourish uh, as it has in some other provinces like Alberta. I'm Kevin Worrell. The New Brunswick Medical Society has concerns about the privatization of cannabis sales in the province. President Dr. Chris Goodyear says the organization wants to be included in this process. We would like to be at the table for any discussions around the privatization of this product and how it's going to be marketed to the population. And Goodyear says the New Brunswick Medical Society also has concerns about cannabis marketing, along with public education and awareness. Right now, the actual medicinal benefits of the product are quite narrow based on good research. However, we don't dispute the fact that anecdotally people may have benefit from the use of the product. Dr. Goodyear says the society argues that while cannabis is legal, it doesn't mean it's a safe product. He adds research shows cannabis can speed up the heart rate, increase anxiety, and in more serious cases, lead to psychotic episodes and seizures. 
It was a dream come true for a St. Andrews, New Brunswick man who is fighting for his life. Lifelong Maple Leafs fan Ron Ruxtel was diagnosed with Louis body dementia three years ago. He always wanted to see a Leafs game in Toronto, and his son Josh wanted to make it happen. So Josh sent a tweet to a former NHLer who got the ball rolling. Paul Sambi's Brad Perry spoke with Ron and Joshua after this once-in-a-lifetime experience. Joshua, I want to start with you. You know, how did this whole experience with the NHL come to be in the first place? Yeah, so I um, I was taking care of my father, and then um, I met my now wife, and she had to finish school in BC. So I went out to BC for oh man, six months while she finished her schooling to be a teacher. And during that time, uh, my mother was on sick leave to take care of my father. And now she's back to work. And I was, I'm was i a full-time caregiver again. And one day we were just chatting uh, while we were just sitting watching Sportsnet. And he's like, oh, it's on my back list. I just want to, I just want to see a game at the, well, the ACC, now Scotiabank Arena, one time before I go. And it was that moment I was like, I need to find some way to make this happen. And, make it happen for him so i uh i listen to spit and chicklets which is a podcast about hockey and it has paul bissonette and paul bissonette is on the podcast sounds like the nicest guy and in real life is the nicest guy in the world and i sent him the tweet and then about a month later i heard back and he's like listen i've been talking to the nhl and we want to make this happen for you so um when works best how can i get a hold of you and Giving Paul Bissonette my cell phone number, I was like, whoa, this can't be real. Like, I'm being pranked or something. But uh, he called me, and uh, from there, it was just a matter of planning and keeping it a secret from my father. Now, I mean, how hard was it for you to keep all of this a secret from your father? Oh, it was so difficult. So, my growing up, my father and I weren't very close, but we always had, like, talking and the Maple Leafs in common. And... Um, we uh, we'd always sit and watch the Leaf game together. So, like normal, uh, we've 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 grown a lot closer now that he's been sick. But we always still maintain that tradition of watching every Leaf game. And um, it's so hard when we'd, we'd Matthews would score and he'd get on a hot streak, and I'm like, oh, this is so exciting, so exciting. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, this, I can't wait. And he goes, for what? And I'm like, oh, you know, to 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 uh, to see them score another goal. Or maybe they'll they'll make the playoffs past the first round this year. So like it was just little things like that, trying to like cover my own butt to to make sure I didn't slip because uh, I was so excited to give him this once in a lifetime opportunity. And now, what was the turnaround time like in terms of from when you sent that tweet to Paul to when he sent a tweet back to you, and then we got to November fifth uh, of the actual NHL game. Um, so I sent the tweet in middle of August. I heard back from Paul about middle of September. Um, so we had about from middle of September till November 5th, where uh, I had to keep that a secret. So, Ron, when you walked into your home and saw former NHLer Paul Bissonette sitting on your couch, I mean, what was what was going through your mind? What were you thinking at that moment? Uh, I was shocked, for sure. And... Uh, um, I wasn't really sure what was up because uh, I had no clue on what was going on. And what was it like for you to uh, be able to see the Maple Leafs play in Toronto? Well, it was like a dream come true. Being from New Brunswick and being sick, uh, 
we would have to pay the uh, for airlines and that type of stuff in order to go to a game and that to be in, being sick. The finances aren't the same as they used to be. Now, Joshua, what did it mean to you to be able to see your dad have this opportunity? It, it, it's amazing. Um, with the disease, a lot of his time is, for lack of a better word, compromised. He's either in pain or um, anxiety is filled with anxiety or struggling to to remember key things, to struggling to, with his speech and all all those things. So, and for the that twenty four hours that we were able to do the surprise to while we were in Toronto, it, it was like he wasn't sick and and. Like he, he obviously what is, but it's just it was for a brief moment of time we got to forget about the illness and just enjoy that moment. Now, Ron, you were diagnosed with Lewy body disease three years ago, and you know this is something that not a lot of people are familiar with. So, for those who don't know what it is, what exactly is Lewy body disease? Lewy body disease is a disease that's a buildup of proteins in your brain, and um. Um, it's a disease that consists of both, uh, Alzheimer's slash Lewy bodies and, uh, um, Parkinson's. Parkinson's at the same time. So you can't treat one without it upsetting the other. It becomes unmanageable. Let's say they give you medicine for Parkinson's. Your your Alzheimer's will go through the roof, and you'll start having hallucinations and stuff like that. And uh, it's not a very fun time. Before this all happened, we started working on a foundation for other people to uh, to be able to uh, help other people if they need assistance or have questions on the disease. My wife's an RN, and she has done research from one end to the other. And we have a, a, a foundation called uh, uh, Dandelions Hope. And uh, we're we're in the process of finalizing everything there, but it, it's more to get the word out because, like you said, Louis bodies. And if you walk into the hospital, uh, a lot of the times the doctors don't even know what the disease is. Diseases. I'm Brad Perry. Atlantic Canadians are already getting into the holiday spirit, according to a new survey. Danielle McCready spoke with Jim Cormier of the Retail Council of Canada about trends he noticed in the survey and what people are spending the most on this holiday season. It's a survey that uh, that Retail Council has done with uh, with Leger Marketing and uh, National Survey, where we survey about uh, 2,500 Canadians about 7% of them in Atlantic Canada. So it, it always gives us a good look into where Canadians are, uh, are going to be shopping and how much uh, over the course of the holiday season. So it's, uh, it's really important for our members because, of course, the, uh, the holiday shopping season is the make-or-break time of year, given the fact that uh, they've successfully pushed over the last few years to try and extend the holiday shopping season on the front end. It, uh, it's been very beneficial to our members, and uh, so they like to get uh, this type of uh, information to find out uh, who's going to be shopping where. The numbers are pretty good. It's always been showing over the last few years that Atlantic Canadians, uh, they do like to shop for uh, for the special someone in their lives during the holiday season. 
it's showing that 45% of Atlantic Canadians have already started their holiday shopping. That's uh, better than the national average, which is only 28%. And they also found that Atlantic Canadians were, were also known as being generous, and uh, this shows that that's true. About 82% of those that have already uh, that are going to be shopping over the holiday season, they're going to be shopping for others as opposed to 77% nationally. So, so we're giving people, so it's, uh, it's good to see. The average spend is going to be around $792 nationally. Uh, Atlantic Canadians a little bit below that at $763. But you're, you're looking at provinces uh, like Ontario where they're going to be spending well over $1,000 per person. So, you know, we're, we're in the upper end of that. Uh, Quebecers uh, traditionally spend the least at Christmas time where they're only spending a little over $500 per person. And this, again, is just based on the surveyed results. So, you know, it's, it's some interesting stuff that you see with it as well. It's, uh, you know, Canadians being who we are, um, the biggest expenditures are going to be on food and booze, along with, you know, clothing and toys for the kids. But we do like to enjoy ourselves at, uh, at the holiday season. So that's good news for those that are selling those types of retail products as well. I guess about the last thing that I could throw in there, Canadians still like to shop in-store which is really good news for bricks-and-mortar retailers because they're the ones that are physically located in your communities. They're paying taxes. They're employing people in your local community. 72% of Canadians say they still plan to shop within bricks-and-mortar stores. That said, uh, there's about 8% that are going to be shopping uh, via mobile device and 20% on your iPads and uh, on a desktop computer. Uh, so that's still good as well, that it all still helps the, the retail sector. But it, it is showing that, you know, even a few years ago, the amount of mobile purchases via a smartphone uh, was almost nil. Uh, it's, it's really starting to, uh, to push ahead. And uh, so we'll see where that goes over the next few years. But, uh, you know, it's, it's showing that people still like to get out and touch and feel the products. They like the retail experience. And, uh, of course, more and more Canadians are understanding that it's important to, uh, to shop in, in physical retail stores because it does impact your community in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that Atlantic Canadians are, are a little bit ahead of the curve on, you know, starting their shopping earlier and, and, and spending money on other people? Why do you think that, that is? Well, it's it's kind of shown that to be a trend over the last number of years. We haven't been doing this survey forever, but, uh, you know, I've been on the on board for eight years, and we've always done certain types of surveying around the holiday season, and it just shows what people have assumed for years, that Atlantic Canadians are generous. You know, sometimes we, we don't have uh, the higher income levels that you see in other parts of the country, but we're always very generous around holiday time. And I guess if you're more generous uh, in buying things for other people, you, you have to start early. We've always been very savvy buyers in that uh, we're looking around for sales. And more and more, you're seeing the Black Friday uh, sales, the Black Friday week, the Cyber Monday sales. Those all start at the end of November. So you're seeing the the holiday shopping season being pushed back a little bit further. And uh, so Atlantic Canadians are responding because they can get some deals and still be able to buy for the for the loved ones uh, at the holiday season, depending on you know whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or, or whatever uh, uh, holidays they they choose to observe. Mm-hmm. I guess a lot of those brick-and-mortar stores, as you call them, holidays can be kind of make or break from them in terms of, you know, people actually coming in and buying 
from them. So that's it's nice to see that Canadians are still supporting local businesses. Yeah, you know they call it Black Friday for a reason. It, it takes most retailers. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's a general statement, but it takes most retailers <clears throat> about eleven months of the year just to break even. So you know that's when they the the old term they, they go into the black for the year. So that's where Black Friday comes from, and. So by having these Black Friday sales, it certainly helps to spur people on to get out and start shopping because it's really just a small window of from the end of November through till the end of December when you have your calendar year end where retailers have to make their profits. So, you know, that makes a difference between, uh, you know, a retailer remaining open or having to close their doors or a retailer being able to hire more people the next year or having to cut hours back. So it's a, it's a very important time of year. You know, there are retailers, obviously, that have, you know, online and bricks-and-mortar options. So, you know, we encourage people to shop uh, however they prefer to shop. But we always like to, to note that, you know, those bricks-and-mortar retailers, they are the ones that are in your local communities and, uh, you know, the ones that are employing local people. Uh, they do often get out and they support the local community. Maybe they sponsor a, a local sports team or a local uh, arts event. So, you know, they are ever-present in your communities, and uh, it's important to support them. Mm-hmm. Jim, those are all my questions for you. Is there anything that you wanted to add, anything you found really interesting about the survey? Or? It's, it's encouraging to see what's uh, what's happening. And, uh, again, as the, the Black Friday week and Cyber Monday, uh, it all starts to come around in the next few weeks. Uh, we encourage people to get out and uh, you know, the earlier you start to shop, the more selection there is. Uh, if you do choose to purchase online, it gives time for that uh, product to be shipped to you uh, in advance of the uh, the holiday season that you celebrate. So we encourage you to get out and uh, support the retailers, uh, large or small, in your local communities. Mm-hmm. Have you started your Christmas shopping yet? I have. Yes, uh, I'm, have usually, I. I'm usually not that good at getting started until after Black Friday, but uh, I did pick up a few things for uh, for one of my family members just the other day. So I'm I'm way ahead of the game for usual. I am not a shopper. So I, I appreciate going into the, the bricks and mortar spots where I can get people to help me. Yeah. You know, I like the, the convenience yeah. of online as well. It's it's not a one versus the other. I like both, but it's it's certainly nice when you're not a good shopper where you can show up and there's somebody that can help you. So yeah. yeah. I'm Danielle McCready. That's it for this week's show. I'm Tamara Steele.